0: Stole Ehud already, though. That's fucked up.
1: What's that? I didn't steal him. I'm just borrowing him. We're, we're sharing him now. <laughs> oh, damn.
0: It's kind of like a romantic relationship, though. It's kind of weird. I don't know how I feel about an open relationship. How long have you known Ehud? About, what, 20 years? have known Mark Longer. Really? <laughs> when well, you met Mark... 2005. 2005. Yep. And I started working with you in 2008, so he's got three years. So you got dibs. Well, that's cool. I could share. Them. <laughs> Only thing is, I don't know if Suzette will let let him out of the house. Yeah, there's that. You know, that's the
1: that's, that's the girlfriend. I had to finally just start taking my wife with me. We're not taping this, right? We are, but you can tell me where <clears throat> you want to start. Okay. Not in a no certain yet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, dude. Well, it was a tour where I was a kicked off my own bus. I'm I'm never allowed on any beat the street bus ever. Why? Yeah, can we start though? Because I punched the bus driver in the head. What happened? Well, we were pulled over going into Switzerland, you know, the only country where they fucking stop you besides Croatia. Uh-huh. And uh I wake up and they're fucking going through my pants pockets, the weird Swiss yeah. police. Yeah. And I get up and I'm like, "What the fuck?" And, and we had an extra driver cuz it was a long drive. And this motherfucking extra driver goes we're all standing out in front of the bus, you know, and he and he just Out of the blue says to these customs agents, I don't have any drugs. They might in the back, which, of course, I did. Jeez, man. What a sellout. And and I'm like, dude, you motherfucker. Because he's such an idiot, too. If they they find drugs on the bus. He's busted, too. And the bus belongs to Switzerland now. Right. You know what I mean? They take all your shit. Why did he do that? Did you ask him? I didn't have a chance to ask him. But when we got back on the bus, there was like a little there was a little space where, between where he was sitting and where the steps went up. Uh-huh. And I just leaned in and punched him in the face as hard as I could from the side. Damn. And um, before that drive was done, I was banned from Beat the Street. They let my band keep the bus, though. but That's weird. So I had to take trains, planes... And automobiles. And automobiles. <laughs> as it turns out. For the rest of that tour. <laughs> and sometime in that <laughs> tour, also... What tour was that? That was a couple of years ago? No, that was like in 2005. Oh, 2005. Mm-hmm. 2004, 2005, something like that. And Luckily, I had Nick Oliveri opening for me, so he stepped in and became my rhythm guitar player, but then, of course... You know, I had to open up my door in the middle of, the, oh, by the way, my girlfriend also hospitalized for like two weeks with some major, like life-threatening blood infection in Scotland, so I had to leave her there. Right. So it was just, that was,
0: that was one tour, yeah. That's wild. All that shit happened in one tour. That's crazy. Has it calmed down over recent years, or is it still chaotic?
1: It calmed down when I quit hiring American guys to be in my band. Oh, really? God damn it! I'm covered with fucking hair. Yeah, dude. I mean, you know, I was a mess back then, and everyone in my band was too. So uh, now, I now half my band are Belgian guys. They used to be all Belgians, mm-hmm. but uh, my guitar player quit, and my wife started playing with me again. So,
0: so when you play in Belgium, do you play botanique? <laughs> <laughs> i usually play the ab or i play the tricks in antwerp Oh, okay oh bigger places i guess i'm always at the botanique or the rotund or whatever that thing and then the other bigger room there hey
1: the botanique's great man <laughs> yeah I, i've had some great shows there but like uh, 20 years ago
0: <laughs> yeah yeah i'm still at that level man i'm
1: trying to creep out of it all you got to do is hire belgian dudes to play in your band you're how- immediately a fucking star there how did you do that well, I had one one friend of mine had been in my band since you know, I had the American guys. And he was a Belgian dude. Yeah. And he was the only guy that stayed in my band the entire time and just became like my band leader.
0: Mhm. What what instrument?
1: He plays keyboards and uh guitar. Right. And he was in a pretty popular Belgian band at that time called Millionaire. Oh, okay. And uh I met him when they were out opening for the Queens, when I was playing with them. And uh, uh, I hadn't made any records for like eight years. I was doing stuff with Greg and uh, Isabel Campbell and this British band called Soul Savers. I was doing a bunch of other stuff. I wasn't like really doing my own records. I forgot about Soul Savers, amazing album with them. Oh, thanks. And uh, in 2012, I got a job uh making a song for a fucking um trailer for a video game uh-huh
0: and <laughs> which, which one which <laughs> one this game called rage i played it i played it <laughs> it was, for, it was for
1: it's qu- a great game it was for, it was for quite a bit of dough uh-huh and uh at the time i was working as a scenic painter you know like on tv sets oh right i remember that and um but this song came together really easily and I did it with Alan Johannes who had done like the record I'd made eight years earlier which one which one that was Bubblegum okay Bubblegum and uh and he plays with
0: Queens too he did yeah yeah on and off co-wrote a bunch of that stuff too right he did yeah
1: and engineered one or two of their records as well right but uh yeah it just was time to make a record and once I was done with it I uh, sent it to my one bandmate I still had left, who was my Belgian guy, Aldo Struff. And I told him, find me the you know, three best guys you can in Belgium. Right. And that's going to be the band. And so that's.
0: Well, that was like. Because a lot of times people do that. They'll have like a European band and an American band, but then you just had a European band and that was your band yeah kind of thing
1: and you know I never and right about then I started playing more in the States too so it was really kind of backfired but still Europe is you know really the only market that I'm right. viable in so it's, it just makes sense to have them over there yeah why oh well I guess Belgium cuz you knew that guy that's why yeah, yeah. and also there's a the thing about Belgian musicians In general, they're pretty serious about music, and they have like, all of them that I know, and I know quite a few, have like a vast knowledge of all these different kinds of music, and they're really serious about playing as well as they can. Mm -hmm. So I went from like, you know, bands that were basically my drug buddies that didn't give a damn about anything,
0: Mm, Like in America, exactly.
1: (laughs) Americans have no respect. (laughs) That's that's who I'm talking about. American guys. Yeah. And uh, to these guys who were ultra serious, and they just you know walked in and they knew the songs. Bang. Right. And all I had to do was go out
0: and sing them. I think it's like just down to like also yeah they they I don't know how to say this without seeming like I'm putting down people from Europe or something. (laughs) (laughs) But it's like kind of like they know it's a big opportunity or something or they see the opportunity whereas maybe American people are just more spoiled or something on some level or just to take things for granted a bit more. Yeah, I
1: will say this. They don't get um, a lot of opportunity to even play outside of their country. Right. Like I have some friends um, that I met through Dooley that he used to play with After Hours Right, Pro- probably like Italy. The, yeah, like the most popular Italian rock band. Yeah, great rock and roll band. Fantastic. Yeah. Um, but, you know, they don't really play outside of Italy, so that would be like, just playing in Oregon,
0: right? And only <laughs> Oregon. Yeah. So yeah, and then here comes somebody that can take them all over the world. Exactly. Yeah, that's interesting.
2: I remember I spoke with you a couple of years ago about touring uh, and you said you preferred the European markets also because of, you know, ticket sales and fan enthusiasm and, and you just go more places and more people see you and you feel the love out there. Not that the American people don't love you.
1: Um, it's just a lot less of them do.
0: Right. <laughs> <laughs> and it counts. Numbers count, unfortunately.
1: You know, yeah. the reason I said those things, Ehud, is because...
0: You always enjoy the place where they enjoy you. Yeah, go with where the enthusiasm is. That's what Peter Gabriel said to me a long time ago. (laughs) And I always remember that. That's good advice. It goes with everything, including, like, dating.
1: (laughs) 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 Yeah, That's that's good life
0: advice for sure. It's really good life advice, man.
2: Is that why you keep going back to Tel
0: Aviv? I I will always go back to Tel Aviv.
1: It's uh
2: enthusiastic people. Yeah,
1: and the merch, bang merch, just out the door. No, the the, yeah. the audiences are fantastic. Even after they caught me ripping off one of their songs, there was a song that I like in 2001. I made a record called Field Songs and. I had heard this record called Hard Rock in the Middle East, and there was a song in there, I guess probably sung in Hebrew, and uh, I totally ripped it off, like melody, phrasing, chords, everything. Mm -hmm. And then I said to my guitar player at the time, Mike Johnson, no one's going to get this, is he? He's like, fuck no, no one's ever going to get that. And and this is kind of... You know, before, like, I think I even had a laptop at that time. But, like, somebody sent an actual letter to my manager. Hey, is this just a coincidence, or (laughs) did Mark rip off this song? (laughs) Turns out, like, it was, I don't know, the Israeli national anthem or something. Wow. So then I went there with Greg, and I was sitting, like, you know, waiting to go up and do my guest spot or whatever, and some girl comes walking through the little dressing room area between the office and the stage and uh, she starts singing something to me and you know they're making noise outside the door i can't really hear it and she goes you know what i'm singing and i listen and she's singing that fucking song it's haunting you man yeah so then i went back with uh with dave rosser the late great dave rosser rest in peace God.
2: Two, two, two years, two years ago month. yeah this
1: month that's right it's hard to believe But he and I went back and played just as a duo. And. uh,
0: You guys did a bunch of tours like that, right? Oh, yeah, we toured. We toured all over the world together, just two of us. What a great guy, huh? The best. Yeah. The best guy ever. Best guitar
1: player, too. Yeah. The only guy I ever knew that remained friends with every one of his ex girlfriends. Yeah. Good good friends. Uh huh. (laughs) That's true.
0: That kind of guy. He's an American, that, and he got it. <laughs> That's true. So there are the odd Americans that yeah. get it. Yeah, yeah. I was uh, generalizing. You yeah.
2: can call him your band member. I mean, he qualifies.
0: He does,
1: yeah. He actually was my only band member for quite a few tours. But yeah. before we played that song in Israel, I said, this is a song that I, uh, I borrowed from you people. That's and, funny. And when we hit the like the middle bridge... They all sang the Hebrew version of it.
0: You know that's I mean? that's amazing. It was, it was incredible. But you embraced it, so then they probably loved it more and loved you for it. Well, you know, I first I tried to deny it for years. Like, I don't know what the fuck. It's a coincidence. And then you leaned into it. <laughs> yeah, I had to. I, I mean, like all this, like the music business is really tough and everything, and we got to like deal with merch. And we're just talking about like you got to shake hands and this, that, and the other. But on get some, get to shake hands, Joe. You're, yeah, yeah, we get to. Sorry, <laughs> I don't know what I was thinking right there. It's got late. No, we get to shake hands. Yeah. <laughs> but um, but I, like, I don't know. Like, don't you kind of love it in a way too? Like, be, like, don't you think it kind of like sort of makes you more energy? Like, I feel like just being with you or just talking, hearing you talk about it or whatever. Like, you seem to like almost like love it. Even though it's maybe harder, but compared to like 90s where like things are just sort of given to you, this, that, and the other, and we're like, <laughs> you know, but like now you kind of have to sort of like be industrious and thoughtful and like, kind of like, oh, and sort of engage different aspects of your mental capacity, like think in terms of more marketing. And that's kind of fun, right? Like, well, it's on a, some level. it's just, You know, it's just all of
1: necessity when people stop buying records right then suddenly a huge you know portion of your your uh, potential income is gone so you have right. to, you have to get uh creative but for me the the best thing that that really happened you know when i started like going out to the merch table and signing stuff and interacting with fans which i hadn't done mm-hmm. all during the 90s i probably talked to maybe two fans Right <laughs> <laughs> so i was I wasn't very good at it at first, but
0: <laughs> yeah, what was that like when you first did it? How weird was that oh man well, you're
2: you're a little intimidating to people who don't know you,
0: yeah, you're intimidating to people who do know you, <laughs> <laughs>
1: that's only sometimes, yeah, only if you feel like it, um the best thing that happened was it it made me interact with people mm-hmm. you know like yeah be a real person yeah and uh
0: just you know i guess that's what i mean too just on a larger point like it's just yeah like i'm cuz like okay we were talking too about podcasting for instance as a mode of like okay like how are we going to survive as artists in this day and age you have to sort of branch out and do other things and be inventive and or even if you're like being inventive in a way that a million other people are being inventive by starting a podcast for instance or whatever (laughs) You know, but it's kind of fun I mean I sort of dig it like I'm glad I'm not just like in some ivory tower with like saying that I'm not so sure I'm about I might be lying right now because I was about to say with like money just pouring in that sounds kind of nice actually but no it is fun being out in life you know come into your house to do a podcast or like you know or you meet fans and sometimes it is like energetically draining it can be but at the same time too i've met so many really cool people and then like sometimes you have a shit gig and you go out and you shake hands and it's like everyone is so like loves it and you completely change your perspective you know that kind of thing that happens all
1: the time right the the thing that the thing that happens most often is uh like the people that got a real heavy story like they're they're only here because their dad or their brother or their husband was such a big fan Mm -hmm. and they've just passed away or something right you know they'd be crying while they tell this story Mm -hmm. that that happens all the time and it's um you know it's kind of hard to think that your music is uh something that you know affects other people the way that the music you loved affected you Mm -hmm. but at some point when you have enough of those experiences you just kind of have to say wow it's you know it's humbling
0: for sure yeah i finally when people say stuff like that to me i kind of like almost disengage on some level like i'm witnessing it and it doesn't really strike me as they're talking to me does that happen to you that's happening to me right now (laughs) (laughs) that's because i'm a shitty podcaster (laughs) no of course yeah you know
1: i mean there there are those times like (laughs) when this this one experience comes to mind like I, i think it was in san francisco this this woman just like had to not only tell me like the entire story of her life but her son's life and uh-huh. and it got to a point where like there's still you know 50 75 people waiting to come up there and she's been up there for 20 minutes now you know and right. it's like how do I how do I get out of this but um how do you get out of it well you just say get this
2: fuck up, you need a tour manager <laughs> for that yeah <laughs> you just get the security <laughs> guy to
1: yank him outside and kick the shit out of him right no but um yeah of course when it happens every other day it's, right
0: it's draining it can be it can be i don't mean to be negative but it's like you know i don't know but it's where, it's where the bread is buttered that's true are you an empath do you think i, I would never even think about it that's
1: probably healthy <laughs> <laughs> I don't think about too too many things too
0: deeply, Joe. You don't? No. Why not? You seem so deep. That's um, that's an that, illusion. That's, that's the, the costume of persona. I don't know if that's true. <laughs> you got such a deep voice. It's like the voice comes from somewhere in the soul. It comes from the cigarettes. Nah. You didn't. You just started. Oh, I don't want to bust you on that. No. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's already. Uh,
1: I, it's out of the bag. It's out of the bag, yeah. Ten years. Well, how long have you started again? You know, it's been almost two years. Oh, okay. Right. Around the time Dave. That's right. Now that I think about it. Not that that's why I started again. but. Yep. But, hey, I smoked, you know, non-filtered smokes for 30 years, and I've smoked uh, Camel Crush for two years, so... <laughs>
0: Don't admit that. They're on the table. (laughs) So when did you decide to write a memoir? Was that two years ago or was that? I did this book of uh, lyrics. Well, first
1: off, somebody offered me a, you know, we'll make these lyric books for you for, I don't know, five grand or whatever. And we'll give, give you so many of them. You can sell them at the merch table. And I thought... And this was at a time when I was pressing my own vinyl and, you know, basically selling that all the time. Mm-hmm. But I thought, book, like, to have your own book made? That's kind of lame. Why? It's not but, rock and roll. Yeah, it's just, you know. The it, hell it's
0: not. Lou Reed has <laughs> a, book. <clears throat> a book. These days
1: yeah but they didn't make them themselves they got them through book companies oh yeah that's true but But we're you know we got to be more industrious i know that's the whole point so cut to two years two years later when i had the five grand i was like you know what fuck it i'll get some books made Mm -hmm. and i called the guy i knew that worked in the book industry and he said i said you know how, how do i go about getting this
0: some books made Just this was lyrics. Yeah. Just just, a collection of lyrics. Yeah.
1: Just just to sell at the merch table.
0: A selection or a whole, like, comprehensive. um,
1: Everything that I had written by myself. Like, there's, you know, those songs that I'd written with uh, Josh from Queens or I'd co written with lyrics with the guys from the trees or Mm -hmm. with Greg for the Gutter Twins. I didn't put any of that stuff in. Just the stuff that I, you know, wrote myself. Mm -hmm. And uh, he said, fuck that i'll get my book company to do it and we'll pay you 50 grand <laughs> so i was like wow. seduced bang yeah and um, i would be seduced by that too but then when i got when i after i signed it i realized that that's when they clued me in that i hadn't checked out the small print that it also included writings and i was like what writings what do you mean i was like you know small sections of writings about you know what was going on when you were making these records and i was like oh fuck no
0: that just seemed after like, you signed after i signed yeah did you do any creative writing besides lyrics, or so is that a whole new domain, or is that something you do anyway? That is something I have never done, nor... Because you're not that deep. I'm not. <laughs> I write all the damn time. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm starting to get to think I'm deep. Well, you're an artist, Joe. <laughs> so, and you're I'm, not?
1: I'm a breakfast cook. Oh, come on. <laughs> <laughs> it's been singing for a while. Man. No, so, so I did have to write these little sections, and... Um, I had a couple of friends who were, um, you know, best-selling authors, I guess mm-hmm. you would say, and one of them in particular really uh, leaned on me to write a memoir, said, you can do this, and it'll be great, and, you you know, you'll uh, get rid of all these ghosts and all this, you know, it's mm-hmm. going to be such a positive experience, and...
0: And so I did it, and... uh, So it started as, like, introductions to lyrics, but then it expanded into a full-on memoir. Well, that went into that book. Oh, okay. And then the memoir,
1: I started just, I wrote, he talked me into writing a prologue, this friend of mine, and I did it and sent it to him, and he said, yeah, man, you have to do this book. And so, uh, same book company that did the lyric book, gave me a deal for this other book mm-hmm. and uh,
2: did you read all the fine print on the second contract <laughs> I, did,
1: I didn't
0: <laughs> I that did. one it was a memoir but you also had to include lyrics <laughs> it was like there a, a section small small, small sections of lyrics <laughs>
1: included a nude
2: photo spread <laughs>
1: that, that's for my next book just photography um Anyway, so I was sending them, you know, these chapters as I was getting them done, and then I had this other guy who was a friend of mine who was also a best-selling memoirist who was going through my uh, stuff, and they were being really enthusiastic, and basically I found out everything that had been promised was bullshit. It was just, it was, it was probably the most unpleasant thing I've ever done
0: writing the memoir dealing with the company or both just the memoir itself Oh, okay i mean it was just like
1: it's brutal uh dude i i was not prepared for shit i hadn't thought about in 25 years you know right and uh i mean you sort of have to family of origin you got to protect yourself when you go you know walking through fucking the mem- memories it's uh uh-huh. can be a wilderness yeah
0: it's a ghetto with people with crowbars and shit uh, ready to dude. hit you over the head dude i know yeah and
1: there was some of that both me wielding the crowbar and uh-huh. getting hit with one as well yeah yeah it wasn't very it, it, it was just a lot of you know it, it was like being buried under a mountain of bad memories daily. And mm-hmm. so I just wrote it as fast as I could. Right. And... How, how, wait, in the morning or what? I'd get up in the morning some days do 12 straight hours and realize <coughs> I hadn't even, like, had a drink of water or fucking walked around Isn't or anything. wild? Yeah, it was crazy because as... I mean, I would never written anything like that before. Mm-hmm. And it just poured out of you. Yeah, but also... Y- y- you know, it doesn't just pour out of you once. <laughs> you have to go over it a few times. You That's know? the part. It's it's the fucking like, the making it uh, literature. Yeah. If it wasn't going to be, if it if it wasn't going to be. I, this makes me sound like a, a snob, but if it wasn't going to be literature, there was no point in doing it. No, it just mean, yeah, it means you just like having a high quality in what you put out there. Well, I mean, there's. Um, a million terrible fucking rock biographies mm-hmm. and i mean i've read a few of them and i enjoyed tommy lee's i didn't i didn't read I mean, Tommy's. I'm just, I'm just joking i was <laughs> <laughs> I, st- I stopped reading them in the 80s i think john phillips yeah. book was the last one i read and it was pretty heavy oh yeah you know the mama's, mamas and, papas, and the papa's yeah he didn't include his uh child abuse stuff in there but yeah uh, there was any of other darkness
0: it's weird did you feel like that sort of survivor's guilt or like you were betraying people or betraying like abusive people when you would write about it and stuff like that was there like mixed emotions with that
1: yeah i mean a lot of survivor's guilt
0: yeah
1: um because during the period of time that i was writing about you know my closest friends pretty much uh didn't make it through there um and then yeah you know like the 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 familial stuff that came up yeah that's what i'm talking about i was just like oh damn you know i was gonna give these people a pass but (laughs) i can't
0: because right because then what Then it's not a story and it's not your story what are you doing and also yeah then i just like
1: i i formed in a vacuum you know what i mean Right, it, it had to have begun somewhere. So, right, yeah, that was that was heavy. But mm-hmm. I'm sure there'll be some family members of mine that uh, won't be talking to me again. But
0: yeah, I got some of that going on, for sure. Just for like uh, being, you know, like yeah, because you let like at a certain point you're like I can just be locked in silence and just sort of. Become a diminishing version of myself, or I can express who and what I am and where I have came from, and expand the universe th- that wants to expand through me, and also then, and that would be of service to other people or not. And what you know, and there's no sort. Of, it's like you're the Dylan line. You're busy being born, and you're busy dying. You're either like, there's no middle ground there. You can't sort of like skirt around it you're either telling your story or you're not and that was it that was the exact uh,
1: position that I finally came upon right and I just I had to go in you know and also you know these guys who um, I was lucky to have the guidance of these these gentlemen who had written books before right. and um, you know they, they just said just just lay it all out there man and then you know at the end of it if you don't want the shit in there then you just take it out mm-hmm. and um, but once i started going in i just had to go all the way in and uh, so it's like a bloodletting
2: <laughs> it's now that it's done you don't feel re- a relief or better about the whole thing that it's just out
1: i feel i feel really glad that it's done i actually have i'm is it out yet oh, fuck is I supposed to send it today? No, it's not coming out till next year. I just got done doing the uh, copy edited version, which is a stack of paper that they send it to you on, where you go through and you know they check for typos or right.
0: this kind of stuff. Um, I just got done going through that. I have to send it back. How did you learn? I mean, the art of memoir is deep. I mean, have you ever read any thing by that guy, Carl Ove Nosgaard? no man you check out his book he wrote like six seven volumes i think of like his life story that are all each one's like a thousand pages and it's like this exhaustive written history of his whole life where his like you know, his wife ended up going into a mental asylum because of, apparently because of this, a lot of his family disowned him. It's like it's it's the most extreme version of what we're talking about. And he became, I think he's Norwegian, and he became a huge sensation, like just like the Beatles of writing over there and stuff oh, like that. He wow. became a star over here, too. But it's all memoir stuff, and it's it's intense. It's like, it's oh, and it's called, and uh, he, he named it Mein Kampf. Oh shit Volumes one, two, three one. like <laughs> my struggle, yeah, that's what he that's what he called it, so it's it's intense i've uh I've read a bunch of them, and but when I say I've read, I've listened to them on audiobooks. oh man, yeah, I gotta start doing that, dude, that's how I read nowadays, well by listening this is the reason I wear
1: glasses is
0: because I fucking used to watch t v shows on my phone, right, yeah, and then I, need I to get a Kindle or something. I realized I couldn't even read a newspaper. Yeah, because that blue light will crush you. Ugh. So did you, so? How did you learn to write a memoir just through just just you did it and that's it, or did did you have editing help? Any like, I did. Yeah, I had. You know this, the friends. Yeah. The had, mem- but but they were encouraging you, but were they actually participating in like you were reading like, to were, them? Were they, were they rewriting my shit? You mean? No, no, I'm not even saying <laughs> that. Like. Carl Ove is an example because I've actually like, kind of got obsessed with him for a second. So he he had like a, a friend or whatever, who he would write all day, like do like the ten hour writing days, and then read every single thing he wrote that day every night to this guy. Like, did you have that? I had that. Okay, that's an important. And that's it, important. It was
1: it, it was really important for me, and yeah. the, and the guy doing it for me was not only a best selling memoirist but he's also a writing instructor at Yale see so that's I had, incredible I that <laughs> how, who I had, is that guy his name's Mishka Shubali uh huh and uh how so did you connect with him I connected with him because he wrote something uh wrote an article about bubblegum like years after it came out mm-hmm. and then made sure that I saw it on Twitter like sent it to me or something and and i just became aware of him to, actually he just sort of like insinuated himself into my life but mm-hmm. he uh asked me can i send you my book and he did and i didn't read it and and then like four months later he's like hey man have you read my what book my book and I, you're like oh i was like what'd you say i said i haven't read it yet man well, but, at least but, you're wrong. but i will and i
0: read it in like two days mm-hmm. And it suddenly became a homework assignment it, but it, but it actually a fun one yeah you know mm-hmm.
1: it, it it started out that way but then yeah. i can it was actually you know a lot of it was about his uh struggle with alcohol and mm-hmm. and how he uh got past that and he had had a lot of you know crazy experiences uh, outside of that as well but it, it was a real interesting read and um it just it just started because he was a fan of my music he's also a musician right um,
0: but uh but yeah i had him in my corner that's amazing because that i find like uh you can get really motivated to write every day knowing that you have that partner that you're going to read it to and and I mean, listen man we're like at the end of the day we're kids, and we want that like pat on the back too like, good job, <laughs> good job, Mark, you know, like but seriously like it's like a it's funny, but it's true like when you're because you're doing that deep soul work and you kind of need like a like a high five at the- i mean right yeah, you do, but you don't yeah. always get it, I you, mean, like, yeah,
1: I have like my five guys that I send my records to before yeah. they come out, dooley's one of them right um.
0: And, and I know that if Dooley's if, tough though. He is tough. That's that's <laughs> yeah, why I'm I, scared <laughs> to send him my record. <laughs> sometimes he loves him,
1: sometimes I don't hear from him, sometimes it's, it's crickets. Yeah, when you when you don't hear from him that's when you know he's not so
0: psyched about it. I know. <laughs> But I always get by that bite. Shout
2: out to Greg. No, shout, love Greg. Shout out to Greg, and
0: it, you know, and it's good to have those, you know, like honest people in your life. But well,
1: anyway, I always have Greg sing on every one of my records too, so, so I kind of get past it. Right, he, he has on, to
0: enjoy it. He's singing on two of my new songs,
1: actually. <laughs> that's that's yeah. the way to get him on your side. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I learned that a long time ago. Yeah. <laughs> um, now one, one thing that i did uh find because i was showing these uh things i wrote every day to a, an actual writing instructor mm-hmm. instructor was that you know a lot of times i was doing shit that was incorrect or right and so it was a lot i didn't get a lot of pats on the back i got a lot of battling like oh. you know like man this is incorrect writing
0: oh really and
1: I was like well that's the way I'm doing it dude and right. finally he would always come around and he'd say you know what you shouldn't be able to get away with this but you got away with it like telling a backstory within a fucking chapter or something you know right. and just I guess shit that's not okay or not the
0: rules or whatever right but apparently I got away with it so well that's cool that's so interesting and so that um, are you nervous about its release like because of the fallout with like family of origin or anything like that, or is it just like Well, I'll probably never be able to go back to Washington State. Yeah. I haven't gone all of it. Bro, all I don't it. I don't go I would I miss Ohio. I haven't gone back in years to shout out to Akron, Ohio, but it's been a minute and I don't like I used to play Thanksgiving every year, bro. You know. Yeah. it's
1: good we can laugh about it all my in-laws just moved back to ohio huh all my in-laws just moved back to ohio toledo well maybe you'll go to ohio and i'll go to washington (laughs) (laughs) well you'll definitely get a better reception there than i will after this book comes out right but you know what can you do i'm 50 yeah 54 so right who, who really gives a damn
2: Where will this memoir be available for anyone who wants to get it?
1: Uh, I'm sure you would be able to find it on Amazon or in some... Do bookstores exist anymore? I don't
0: know. The Strand. Yeah, Barnes & Noble. Barnes & Noble. What
2: company's putting it
0: out? It's a company called DeCapo. That's a huge one. I mean, I've heard of it. (laughs) Is that, is <laughs> there's that, a quote there's a the quote there's a quote for your book for by the way book. I've, heard, I've of heard, of I mean, I heard of it that's a huge one I mean I've heard of
1: it that's it you just gave me the best that's, fucking, the, that's, that's the my best quote blurb. for you
0: bro that's the blurb right there there's my phone but I that's on the, get that one that's home. on the that's I'll, on, on I'll the I'll get the podcast <laughs> Decavo <that's laughs> <laughs> they're huge I've heard of them I mean I've heard of it. <laughs> you know that's the oh. special blurb that goes on the cover. <laughs> that's,
1: that's the blurb. That's too oh, good. Fuck's sake. What's it called? It's called "Sing Backwards and Weep."
0: Wow, dude! Why? Why? That's a great title, man. It's the line out of one of my songs. <clears throat> that's wild. Sing backwards and weep. That's heavy. So, so it's lighthearted stuff. Yeah, it's real lighthearted. That's heavy. It's beautiful though too. It is, man. It is. I'm I'm uh, I'm impressed with that because honestly I've written about a thousand pages of a memoir myself and I haven't like it's just sitting there like a train wreck in my computer. You know what I mean? Like it's just like I haven't gone back through. And like sometimes I'll send it to someone and say, Hey, will you help me? edit this book, and I usually, that's when I just never hear from the person again. <laughs> uh,
1: that doesn't surprise me at all. In fact, I sort of assumed that, I mean, you're so multifaceted. I assumed that you'd
0: probably have a book or two laying around somewhere. Yeah, I got I want to get to it. I, I, but, uh, yeah, I need to find.
2: You were working on it for a while. Yeah. I remember you were writing nonstop.
0: Yeah, yeah. And I, yeah, I'll get, I'll get back to it. Actually, this will really inspire me, I think, too.
1: Dude, if a dipshit like me can do it.
0: Yeah, right. A genius like you. No, oh, bro, you're the genius. <laughs> <laughs> no, you are. <laughs> Man. All right, let's
1: have a cigarette, Joe.
0: Okay. We got to go outside and pause.
1: Do we have to pause? How long? Is, can oh, we have yeah, one right go, now? You could go. You can smoke inside. Can we, we have floor. one smoke inside? If I smoked inside, my ass would let's be. Let's take a checked. five minute break then. Okay, let's take a five
0: minute break. Sweet.
1: All right.
2: God, how long do you guys do? Oh, we can go for like four hours, no problem.
1: We
0: started talking about. You said you were a night
1: owl.
2: <laughs> you don't know <laughs> who <what> you're dealing <laughs> with here. Rarity
1: was like, "Get out of here after 20 minutes." No. I like your grill though. Yes, yeah, what, you know.
0: It was out of necessity. Stop looking, though. I tried the... The gold is, is a good choice. Well, I... I, I Not had, everybody can pull off the gold. I had the,
1: the porcelain in the past, and it just broke, like, my teeth, so... Mm-hmm. I decided to go with something stronger. It looks good. Thank you. Yeah, man.
2: <laughs> Since we just talked about it outside, can you just mention again how you first met Greg and started working with him?
1: I first met Greg... Um, Greg Dooley.
0: Greg Dooley for the kids at home. <laughs> 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 Afghan wig. First, I had a, first I had
1: an imaginary like uh, I had an imaginary. Um, I felt that he had dissed me, like early nineties. Mm-hmm. Like, How that happened? He came up and said hello to me.
0: Well, there you go. <laughs> I mean, if that's not offensive, I don't know what <laughs> <I> know. is. <laughs> and I was I was like, who's that guy? Thinks he can just say hi. Yeah, just come walking up to me
1: in a bar in Chicago and say hello. What the fuck? Who's this guy? I think he is? So then I like had this you know imaginary um, beef beef with Greg for years and never saw him anywhere. Right, but <laughs> I always was looking for him. Yeah, and um, and then I I was I was living here in Los Angeles and I went back to Seattle and Greg was still living up there, and I was doing a. Uh, like live radio thing in the studio mm-hmm. that was near his house and there was like maybe 20 guests was it kexp it may have been but it wasn't in their studio it was in a it was an actual recording studio where i was working with martin Fevier. which one do you remember i can't remember what it was called but it was out in that part of town where greg lived mm-hmm. i can't remember the name of that part of town either that's a crazy thing, man. You live in a city for ten years and then you just forget like how to get from one place to another or what the different neighborhoods are called. Right, it's nuts. When I go back to Seattle, I'm sort of like, "Where am I?" <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, he was one of the guests there, and and um, I thought that was cool because you know he was aware of my imaginary beef. Oh, he was. Yeah. How would he catch on to that? Because I told everyone who knew him that. Man. next time
0: I saw him. <laughs> wow. Just based on a hello. <laughs> That's it. That was it. But, but uh, you, mu- you must have sensed something in the hello, like, <clears throat> I sense a bit of cockiness. Well, there's probably like an alpha male, uh, you know, feeling another alpha male out type of thing. Yeah. We, we, you know, we
1: recognize each other. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, he woke in me something that day and, um, but then it was diminished when i saw him right and then i was living down here i was yeah. back down here and, and he was living here and a mutual friend said uh greg wants to get together with you and i went over he was living with charles at that time down in echo park and charles uh, who charles is uh charles in charge charles is partner and all of his bars and businesses and all the stuff that keeps greg afloat yeah (laughs) greg doesn't have to do music because he is a businessman yeah but um he had this fucking song that he said he wrote for me and he gave it to me and on a cd and we ended up hanging out for like four hours that day and just you know immediately hit it off and
2: was that for twilight
1: It it was a song that he had done as a demo for the Twilight Singers and then decided to give to me. And, uh, And, of course, I listened to it, and I was like, okay, well... I obviously can't put this on my record because it's a better song than any of mine, you know what I mean? (laughs) He is
0: good at writing songs, isn't he? He's good with the words, too. People will know this isn't mine. That's funny.
1: I was like, okay, well, this is going to have to wait. And so then when we did Gutter Twins, we tried to do a version of it then, and it just wasn't happening. And then finally, I was like in 2013 or something, I was doing a covers record. Mm-hmm. And uh, I finally did a version of it. What song is it? It's called Deepest Shade. Oh, okay. And now it's like, you know, my signature tune. Right. <laughs> That's cool. It's, it's, it's a great song. And um, Greg said it, it brought tears to his eyes when, when he heard it. And then he immediately said, But what happened to my solo? What happened to my piano solo? Why isn't it in there? I said, "Oh fuck, we forgot about that." What are the lyrics on it? Oh man, they're they're beautiful. It's it's like a it's like a beautiful soul song. And then I'm not going to sing to you here a cappella.
0: No, okay. I was going for that, (laughs) (laughs) angling for a little a (laughs) cappella moment, a little snippet, a little little taste, a little taste (laughs) moment.
1: Duff McKagan just made a, a really great record called Tenderness. I,
0: yeah, I've, he's kept he keeps name dropping, not name dropping, but like referencing as influences you and Greg. I think that's really cool.
1: Well, Duff is like, you know, he's another guy like Greg who's been a real good friend to me. Yeah. And uh, he's been doing that song that Greg wrote, Deep of Shade, in his sets. That's cool. Which is really cool, yeah.
0: He's an interesting character. The fact that he became like a sort of financial genius or whatever during. And, and it's something I think about, too, because uh, that's an area of my life that's still pretty confusing and mysterious to me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I, he's inspiring just knowing that he's done that. I was wondering if you get inspired in a similar way, like, what, you know, we were talking about the merch thing, but just even in knowing the intricacies of business, the way Duff has well, he went- mastered that.
1: After his first stint in guns, he went to business school. Right, and then he um, invested in property. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm pretty sure it's the kind of property that they put, like they put a Ralph's and a Starbucks and all that shit on. Mm-hmm. And then whoever owns that property gets paid rent by those businesses for ever. Right, and I'm pretty sure he owns a few of those a few of those that's m- nice around California at least and of course now with the uh, Guns N' Roses back mm-hmm. in full force Dude. dare, <coughs> yeah
2: have you been to one of their shows recently hey
1: buddy. well I, I opened four of them um really last back last year I got off just in time right before stuff was about to get get to get thrown at me
0: oh really <laughs> The f- you were confusing the fans <laughs> yeah. a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> it went that well. <laughs> yeah. I could sense it. It was just
1: about to, stuff was just about, to, about st- to turn. Right when I got off of there. So I, I made it out alive. Yeah. But it was great seeing them. Um, yeah. I mean, really incredible. Uh, I had never seen them back in the day. Of course, you couldn't help but see their videos and hear their music and all that stuff. But, yeah. but actually seeing them now, you know, play for three hours and, yeah you know i went those, to a bunch of those
0: yeah. it was amazing yeah I, even I, when it was Axel in the three guitar onslaught that was none of the other mem- real members Rumble, or whatever Rumblefoot, dude i i gotta Thomas say Hinson. i thought those were killer shows <laughs> i know i saw one at governor's island and Me i was too, expecting yeah. it to be like like, I was expecting to go and be kind of like, okay. But it, it blew me away. I was like, okay, this rocks. Wow. You know? But I'm sure with real, the uh, actual members of the band.
1: Is it true
2: they're recording the music?
0: That I don't know. I heard they are.
1: It would, it would make sense. Yeah. Um, I certainly would. I would, too. Although, the way it's going with those guys, I mean, I'm sure they could just play those the same songs that they've been playing. Mm -hmm. and fill giant stadiums. I mean, we were playing in front of, like, 70, maybe 80,000 people. Like, huge soccer stadiums in Europe.
0: What was that like? Was that the most you've ever played in front of? Well, you did with the Queens of the Stone Age, probably played some huge gigs, too. But that was, like...
1: I played a lot of festivals, like, even in the 90s with the trees. Like, you know, uh, Reading... Ross Gilda, you know, some of those are like 60, 70,000 people. Mm-hmm. So, you know, but those shows are like playing in front of nobody, really, because they're so big, it's not. Right. I'd rather play in front of that many people that I don't know than in front of like 20 people that I do know. Yeah.
0: It's more nerve wracking playing in front of 20 people in a little room than it is playing in front of like 50,000 people. Way more nerve wracking it is because there's just such a like there's such a disconnect when there's some when there's a sea of people There's yeah. it takes the stakes away on some level it does because it's like yeah there's so much mythology you're 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 a huge cartoon character at that point in some ways
1: for me it's just like it's just like playing in front of nobody it's like rehearsing yeah. because a usually when my band's up there not too many people are paying strict attention right and um uh, b i'm usually playing like 20 30 minutes top so yeah unless it's like a festival i we my band does you know festivals every summer in europe and not uh not always huge ones like those but uh, you know, always much bigger than you playing them
0: yeah but like a not club. huge festival still five thousand ten thousand people or something like that. still huge yeah
1: even if you're like in the tent at, pop, you're playing in front of 20,000 people. Yeah. So, which yeah. I've done with Rosser, just he and I. <laughs> That's cool.
2: Yeah, there's a bunch of recordings of those shows with Rosser that you ended up pressing or selling. Um, some were acoustic, some were electric, right? It was different tours.
1: Yeah, yeah, we switched it up after a while. We started by doing acoustic stuff, and then towards the end, Dave was playing electric. I still do that stuff with my new guitar player Jeff Fielder just like in the off years when I'm not you know when I don't have a a band record but uh, yeah I mean Dave and I toured you know Europe in a car and just laughed every minute of every day it was the most fun i ever had and we also did with greg the three of us toured the entire world like went from the states to south america to europe to australia all in one trip those were they're a lot more uh well you know what it's like playing by yourself
0: (laughs) oh yeah it's it's so much more i seem to always wind up back on alone on stage (laughs) But it's it, a. There's no overhead. Yeah, there's something about it that's like, yeah. It, well, it's it's got its advantages as well. You know, you can kind of just guide it wherever you want without, con- you know, confirming that with anybody else. You know? <laughs> there's no discussion. Of there's it, no discussion. <laughs> be? Yeah. I mean, sometimes with yourself. I was thinking about the time I met Greg. It was like uh, with Mike Napolitano in Soho. Uh, New York City, and Greg uh, it was, had listened to my album "Come to Where I'm From," which is the name of this podcast. But there's a song in there called "Speed of Light," where it's like uh, "Hello" or "Goodnight, New Orleans." Uh, that's what the lyric starts, and he so he thought I was that I had lived in New Orleans, <laughs> and so that's how we bonded. I was like, "No, nah, man, that's just a lyric in the song. I've never even been to New Orleans." <laughs> that changed of course i ended up spending a lot of time there but yeah that's funny
1: yeah greg is uh
0: one of a kind i'm fucking lucky to know him yeah i feel that way too ohio (laughs) he's another ohioan i've been i've been to his house in hamilton ohio but so um you grew up like in seattle but like there was like a a desert town in Seattle. I just heard that. Like it's, when it was like,
1: "It's Eastern Washington It's all in, like a desert."
0: That's interesting. Yeah, I didn't I never thought about Washington being a, having a desert.
1: Uh, all all of Eastern Washington is like high desert. Mm-hmm. You know, like like Joshua tree. You know, small scrub brushes. Yeah.
0: No, real trees. Do you think that's what pushed you into? becoming creative and going into what you've gone into uh that environment being sort of void of something else to do or what what do you because a lot of musicians come out of places like that like i'm from akron ohio it's kind of you know there's for certain types not much else to do but get creative you know
1: Yeah, I I fell into it. You know, I didn't really know what I wanted to do ever, but I knew I didn't want to do it there. Mm -hmm. So I was always kind of looking for a way to get out of there. And
0: And it wasn't going to be like, I'm going to become a lawyer.
1: (laughs) No, not not with my
0: below D minus average in
1: high school. Yeah. Um, no, that wasn't going to happen. I actually did graduate high school, but it was with a phony diploma because my old man was a teacher at my high school. So some of his friends cooked up like... <laughs> That's interesting. Cooked the books. Yeah.
0: Did you get bullied because you had, you know, parents as teachers or anything like that? Or Come on, Joe. I mean, I know you didn't. <laughs> <but> <laughs> Maybe once. Yeah.
1: You get bullied, you you just, were a fighter. You just, you just, you just yeah, you just fucking throw down immediately. Yeah, it's the only way to stop those kind of assholes. Yeah, but no, my dad was not like a a regular teacher. He had a specialty job. Okay, where he, uh, I guess you would call it work study, would find jobs for people out in the community. Students, so half the half the day they would be in his classroom, and then half the day they would be out working a job, Mm -hmm. and uh, that was just like a certain percentage of the the uh, student body that was part of that system. So it didn't really factor into your life, then. He didn't really. No, nobody hated my dad, and so took it out on me.
0: (laughs) Right, none of that shit. (laughs) In
1: fact. Now that I think about it, he was actually pretty popular with his students because they kept coming around to visit him at our house for years after they would graduate. So my dad's a good guy. That's cool. But I was glad that I didn't have to
0: be in one of his classes. Yeah. That probably would have been a drag. So I, I, for some reason, I just keep popping. Like Chris Cornell keeps popping into my mind because you worked with him too, right? Like yeah. He produced one of your records or... Yeah, he
1: co-produced the first
0: record we did for Epic. Right. And... uh, The Screaming Trees? Yeah. How did that come about? It
1: came about because his soon-to-be wife was our manager.
0: Uh Uh-huh. Oh, I see.
1: And also, I was really uh, paranoid about making a major label record, especially at the time when, like, hair metal was king right because this is sort of before pre-nirvana yeah and uh
2: sound garden was already out
1: they were signed uh, alice and Cheese were signed and we were signed yeah. mm-hmm. and uh and they it, were kind of like we cool. all had the same manager <laughs> uh-huh. yeah which was chris's uh first wife susan
0: and they were sort of the top of the food chain, Soundgarden, right, at the
1: time? Or Alice in Chains was, actually. Alice Chains was? they were the first band to, to really hit huge out of Seattle uh-huh. with their first record. They're great. They're, they're the one band that I still would listen to and, and yeah. not be depressed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? From, I love from that, that. Era. Me yeah. too. Lane well, Staley was, you know, one of the best friends I ever had, and
0: What was he like? He's interesting to me, like, I just,
1: as a... He he was magical. Yeah. Really, really.
0: What made him magical?
1: Just, he had a real mischievous sense of humor, Uh high intelligence. Really? And, um... He's such an interesting character. He's, yeah, I mean, a lot lot of this book I wrote is, is about he and I. Really? Really? Hanging out, um... But uh, yeah, he was—he was, he was uh, just, just one of a kind. Most a uh, sort of—I mean, not to sound too corny or anything, but sort of otherworldly. Yeah, I get that. He uh, was the most powerful singer ever. Too. Yeah. Like you could—you'd be standing on the side of the stage, and you could feel. You know, like his voice would just go through you. Bang. Mm-hmm. Cornell, on the other hand, was probably like the technically greatest singer I ever heard. Mm-hmm. He was really like, just up. Uh, hey, come here. I love your dogs, anyway. Come yeah, it's because you don't have to live with them. Yeah, come on,
0: come on up here.
1: But both those guys were, you know, real singers. Yeah, like. I, I equate those guys' talent with, like, you know, say, Freddie Mercury or yeah, Rob Halford or, you know, any of the greats from when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. Those guys had those kind of voices. yeah. And uh,
0: Chris was also a really,
1: really nice guy.
0: Yeah, he's a sweetheart. I actually got to hang out with him a few times. Like, we started becoming friends. Um, we because uh, of pj20 i played there you know i was starting to be in a band with jeff Aimant called rndm and then I, I made some live paintings and they were in like the pearl jam dressing room for some reason and i was back there and eddie and those guys were like going over their set list and chris came in and was like who did these paintings <laughs> and i was like oh those are mine he goes man you know i know when something's good and those are good <laughs> and i was like thanks and we exchanged numbers and i was like yeah next time i'm in la like yeah let's get together or something and then he was playing with soundgarden in la and my friend wanted to go and i so i texted him and said hey and he put us on the list and he and he put passes and then soundgarden threw down it was killer and then me and my friend there was a big line to go into the vip thing and i was like should we bail and uh she was like yeah let's bail and so we bailed and then i hit texted him from the parking lot i was like hey man great show thanks so much and he goes where are you like he was like down like i just couldn't it didn't register that he really wanted to like kick it like you know i was like where are you and i was like oh we left but sorry i didn't you know and then like couple days later, we went and did, went on a hike in Runyon. He came and picked me up in his like killer car. And we like, we like hiked Runyon a couple times and just had these like conversations about sobriety and stuff like that. And just kind of like, we just started becoming friends. It was really unexpected. And he's another guy that's like kind of intimidating, you know, in a way, or at least I thought of him as that, you know. But, um, so yeah, I got a chance to interact with him and, Man, when he passed away, that really hit hard. I did. I didn't see that one coming. Me neither. It's still bizarre to me to think about. Me
1: too. But then when I think about like you know my time spent with him, he was always, uh, you know, there's always a like a solitary, lone wolf Mm -hmm. sort of side to him. But once you got in, like his sense of humor. Yeah. He was incredible, really funny. and
0: Yeah, very sweet. But then he would say something that was like, okay, you're for real, dude. Like, you are who you are, you know? But like, yeah.
2: Did you ever collaborate with him musically other than that one time?
1: No, just, you know, he, really he was basically there just to hang out with me mm-hmm. and, you know, sort of like...
0: Make sure you didn't go off the
1: rails. Yeah, make sure I didn't uh, tear the house down. Yeah. And, and it worked you know yeah I just played basketball every day and just hung out but uh he did he played me uh like some acoustic demos that oh. ended up being uh, like the temple of the dog stuff uh-huh. and, and i was like man this is a fucking hit
0: right <laughs> and
1: he was like what i'm like yeah it is yeah it just blew me away. It's uh, all those guys it, to me were not like here and
0: I th- I equate you every bit up there, bro. Like uh, in my m- in my world, you're just there exactly. Like, but you know what's cool too? Because also, what I like about you is uh, you go against type in some ways with like you're not afraid of drum machines and beat music and stuff like that and i i really respected chris collaborating with timbaland even though he took a lot and i got to tell him that when we went on that hike like i was like you know hey man i know you took heat for that record but that that's cool as fuck that you did that to me i think it's cool when people take chances artists take chances and do shit like that i i do too yeah
1: he because he had already such a high profile, I think is why he took so much shit for that, yeah, had he been a nobody like me, no one would have cared, but yeah,
0: nobody um, <laughs>
1: but yeah, I thought the same thing, yeah, you know, I thought, wow, that's so ballsy, it's just, ballsy,
0: it's like that's punk rock, exactly. and people don't get it, like but that's the punk rock move, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, but I, so you like you like. Messing with the drum machines and all that, too, right? Yeah, mainly it's because I, I can never get along with drummers, but um,
1: or
2: but, anyone else in your band, but <laughs> unless they're Belgium, unless they're, unless, they're Belgian. unless they're
0: from Brussels, and actually, my, my, unless they're related to Jean Claude Van Damme, Van <laughs> <laughs> Mark loves them. My, my, hey, my, drum, my drummer is Belgian, his name's Christophe C, <laughs> told you, Christophe Van Damme, <laughs> Christophe Kleiss. But you know what, man? The, the other thing with drum machine beats, though, is there is... Uh, and this is something, too, that Peter Gabriel hit me, too, which was... Because he, he put it to me like this, which is, there's a hardness to that that doesn't exist with like a human drummer. And, and I love human feel and real drums. You know, if I had to pick one to use for the rest of my life, it would be human drums. But there is something to a drum machine. It's just tough. There's a toughness to it. And I bet you... That has something to do with what drew Chris and probably draws you and draws me to it too and draws people to it, you know? To me there's nothing more badass
1: than a 909 like run through a fucking blue box or some other sort of distortion pedal and it's just like I love that. Me too. And if I had to choose, I would always choose <laughs> a I'm, drum machine. Me too, but I was lying <laughs> just to sound cool
0: to everybody. I just, I just try to qualify, but really. <laughs>
1: that's, what, that's what my wife is out there doing right now is running a 909 through some distortion.
0: Yeah, what kind of music is she making?
1: Just, you know, what they call it in the 90s, GABA music. <laughs> I never, <laughs> what is GABA? It's like, uh, I don't know, it was some sort of Dutch techno. Oh, okay. Where the kick drum is run through a distortion pedal, and it's cranked loud. Uh. It's
2: is that for your uh, duo project? For, for our
1: band? Um, yeah. You know, she writes some music, and luckily it's one of those situations where almost everything that she writes, I can immediately come up with a singing part to it, which isn't always the case. Right. I mean...
0: Yeah, speaking of which, when Peter Buck tried to give you, a... <laughs> well,
1: let's hear that
0: story. <laughs> let's hear that story. Man on the moon. What happened? I thought it was stairway to, to heaven. I didn't. I didn't see the potential. <laughs> <laughs> no, he got me. He got you. I find it easy to write with his riffs, man. I love writing to his riffs. I mean, he's like the greatest riff writer.
1: It was. It was the. It was the mountain of them yeah that they, that they piled dude on man me. on the moon i know you had it I in, had in it. your palm of
0: your hand if
1: only i was michael stipe yeah. and had written like him
0: because you know I, I, mean? I often <laughs> find myself asking saying if only i was michael stipe
1: <laughs> that was yeah. that was the, the absurdity of that comment was of course it's a hit yeah michael stipe wrote the words yeah had had I written something to that piece of music, I
0: doubt very highly it would have been a hit. yeah, but hey well, so far me and Peter have written one album, and we haven't got a hit yet, so you might be onto something. <laughs> but I got high hopes for our album number two he He is a master at
1: setting up a song for a singer. Yeah, like, exa- like those, those progressions, I mean, he knows it's,
0: how to you know it's perfect. It's and tailor-made for a singer. It's tailor-made, and it's also, like, what what I found, like, well, I was a huge R.E.M. fan anyway, like, back in the day when I first started writing songs, like, it was Nirvana and R.E.M. that I would listen to a lot, and, um, yeah, when, when I started writing with Peter, like, my tendency was to, like, just do elongated, like, real simple melodies because his melodic voicings on guitar so so like so intricate and melodic that that they sing for you and all you gotta do is hold a note and it's like and the song just kind of happens it's real it's real cool
1: I had I had a little trouble because of the melodious nature of his playing there
0: it was tough for me to find Room, you have to sustain simple things. Yeah, with it, that's what I found. And I, I I would sometimes go like, okay, I'm sounding a little too REM ish here, but it's hard. How can you not? (laughs) Yeah, it's hard. I was like, people are going to say I'm trying to be like, but it's like, I'm. It's this guy. It's (laughs) like, like, it's It's the guy who wrote all their music. uh, Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) You can't avoid it. it. It was hard, you know. Um, I think we've avoided it a little bit, but yeah, it's in there for sure. What was it, what was it like, uh, working with Kurt Cobain? I mean, he was a huge hero of mine, and I, you know. You know, we were really
1: good friends, and when we tried to create together, it was,
0: um, it was a difficult... Clash of the Titans? No, it was the opposite, um... Two nice guys finishing last.
1: <laughs> Two nice guys finishing last. No, nobody, nobody wanted to be the shot caller.
0: Right. You meet in an alpha. Uh, Maybe. Well, he,
1: he was a fan of mine. That's how I met him. Okay. So we, had was, a, we had a mutual friend. He asked me to go to the show to meet his best friend who was a singer and was a fan of mine. And right. Then, and that's how I met him. But I recognized immediately that there was a huge difference between, you know, his talent and uh, what I had going. I think you
0: underrate your talent, dude. Well, I'm talking like 1988. Yeah.
1: If you heard any the records I made in the 80s, they're
0: they're not overrated. Right. Okay. (laughs) I mean, he was incredibly talented. Not that you aren't, but, you know, he was one of the greatest songwriters ever yeah exactly for sure and i mean i recognize that
1: almost immediately yeah and um and looking back on it now when i think about us being in the studio together i he was reticent because of his respect for me right but i didn't i was used to like you know taking control of every screaming tree session because otherwise it was a shit fest Mm -hmm. even though i was the least musically proficient member you know just like by force of will i had to like sort of keep the somebody had to hold the reins Mm -hmm. and i and i there was no need to do that in situation with kurt you know what i mean right and so both of us were just like kind of
0: Non engaged. Interesting. Yeah. But, well, you know what I think infected a lot of people back then? And, you know, I came, I started, I, I got signed in the mid 90s, so I'm back then too. It was, uh, we were all trying to be, we were all cool, like, but we were all kind of too cool or something, or like disengaged maybe was like cool or something. This was more like, yeah, that wasn't it. No. no. I, I, as soon as it came out of my mouth, I'm like, nah, that's not what it is. No, it wasn't that. It was
1: uh, it was two nice guys finishing last. <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and, and then one of them becoming be not listening. so nice and <laughs> <laughs> finishing first. Right. He always was nice. Did you ever yeah. like, write some songs? Yeah, that's cool um no we didn't we never it was like a lead belly thing that yeah it was like happen. a c- cover scene
0: and then like what and, and it was like sst he wanted to be on sst but they didn't get it how did they <sighs> not how did they not get it dude come on i know like how do you sub pop Sub pop didn't even fucking get it dude. How, why what wasn't to get just that's, how that's great that's what i said how great the songs were i'll, I'll never
1: forget like going with Kurt to see him opening for Tad and this band called Blood Circus that was on Sub Pop. Mm-hmm. And uh, at that time, the trees were already on SST. And so Bruce and John, the guys who owned Sub Pop, were always like, hey, man, you know, like when are you going to come make records for us? Mm-hmm. And uh, they are like, oh, so you came to see Blood Circus, huh? And I'm like, no. Tad? I'm like, Tad's a nice guy, but I'm here to see Nirvana, man. They're like they're the best band that you guys got. In fact, they're one of the best bands I've ever seen. And I remember right. I, I I never forget the way they looked at each other like Really? Like what? Uh, that's just and wild. Then, and then cut <laughs> cut cut to like six six, maybe eight months later when I'm actually signed to them now as a solo artist and I'm going to meet them for some to talk about artwork or something. Mm-hmm. And I can hear them inside the warehouse. It's after hours. Argue, or Bruce is raising his voice, and he's like, God damn it, is Nirvana the only fucking band we have that's going to ever sell any records? Right. I'm like, "Oh, you get it now, huh? Greg Ginn at SST, I sent him cassettes twice of Nirvana because that's how we got signed to him was by giving him
0: a cassette. Right. That's how I got signed with a cassette to Peter Gabriel. Yeah. Yeah, Lou and Reed. The uh, didn't
2: Lou Reed give your tape to Peter? Gabriel?
0: No, no, no. He recorded my first audition tape with his DAT machine. Wow. Yeah, he Peter Gabriel brought Lou Reed, and then Lou and 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 I had I was a bass player, and I just had started doing the singer songwriter i was faking it like a motherfucker like totally and then lou reed came in i was like okay i'm done. i can't with this like because with peter I, I was like already prepared myself but then when lou showed up with the fez i was like oh my god i went up to the bathroom and just got on my knees and prayed i just prayed to god i did and then i went and then i went on stage and i like don't remember anything i got off and i walked right to lou and Lou was like i like that song king of hide and seek and I didn't have a song called King of Hide and Seek, <laughs> 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 but uh, <laughs> but I. Who set were you watching? <laughs> no, but I had a lyric in one of the songs where I said King of Hide and Seek. And actually, man, I should I should name my new record King of Hide and Seek. That'd be rad. That's but a good, that's a good title. It is a good title. Maybe that'll be the name of my memoir. That's what I was going to say. That's a good book title. That's my memoir title, King of Hide and Seek. Wow, there it is. You nailed it. So wait, but let's go back to this Kurt Cobain thing. Oh,
1: anyway. Yeah, Greg Ginn just didn't get it. Yeah. You know, I talked to him like three times on the phone. And talking to him was really difficult because he would put these huge pauses
0: in every sentence. Like unnaturally long pauses. Was that like a manipulative tactic? I don't know what it was. Because that is like something people do to make you... (laughs) pay attention to what they're gonna say next you got me you know i've heard of that shit
1: anyway um yeah i don't know what it was but he he wasn't buying those guys that's interesting and and luckily for them he didn't because yeah as it turned out you know Bruce and John were
0: it all worked out the way it was supposed to exactly interesting well yeah, let's cut to like when you were with the queens of the stone age and you were only singing like a few songs a night what was that like touring and just being in that I mean because Rated R was that, that was the first album you went, went with, with them right Rated R was that it on the
1: very, the last tour that they did on their record
0: I, I went out with them and then that's they, a great record Rated R that's when I discovered them yeah nicotine, volume, psychedelics, marijuana anyway that one I love that that's a blues song
1: it's a good record yeah Yeah. i like i think i was on all of the records except for the last one and the first one
0: Mm -hmm. and what was it like touring with them and only singing a few songs did you like that or was that did that drive you crazy at first it was
1: like what this is weird
0: you know and just doing a third of the songs and then you realize you were the king of the castle because you just like
1: Dude, it was the best job ever. Right, I, I fell right into it. it was That's like, amazing. I was so I was so no. bummed when I got fired. <laughs>
0: How'd you get fired? I uh, thought you
1: quit. Nah, I uh, it was by mutual agreement. Right.
0: What well, it ran its course, probably. That was it. Yeah. You know,
1: I mean, it was something that I couldn't. It's it's not something you can sustain forever. The guest singer.
0: Yeah. You know, but it's cool that it lasted as long as it did. I always thought that was cool.
1: When it was the three of us when it was me Nick and Josh mm-hmm. doing like a third of the set every night yeah that was it was a special thing then I mean it's still special it's great They're yeah one of the one of the best bands I've ever seen and been lucky enough to be part of but um mm-hmm. but yeah when it was when it was set up like that it was then it then it made sense yeah but uh it was. Too easy, you know what I mean? Like, I realized that I needed to Exp- expand. I needed to do something else. Yeah. You know? Yeah,
0: and now you like doing, like you still work with other people, but are you more focused on solo stuff or what? What do you think? You know, I do. I do stuff. When it when it comes when it comes along, we should do something sometime.
1: Joe, you are a serial collaborator,
0: like I I am. (laughs) I know. That's what I'm saying. Like, let's get this party started, bro. (laughs) I don't know what we've been waiting for. We've been too
1: busy working with other people. That's true. (laughs) Everybody else.
0: (laughs) No, man. We should. We should do a track anyway. I would love that. Well, we have, technically. Yeah, that's true. Got Earth. Yeah. Yeah.
2: But that was your MO, with, with Dooley and Twilight, you would come out for like three songs and go back to the dressing room.
1: Well, that's because he learned it from mm-hmm. seeing me with the Queens. And actually, it was because of Greg that I started doing music again,
0: because I had stopped. How long did you take a hiatus for? 10 years? <laughs> <laughs> Not that long? <laughs> I, t- I took
1: a hiatus from my own stuff for eight years.
0: I'm a, I've i been on a hiatus myself. I'm coming back into it, even though I'm still doing collaborative stuff, but I'm about to do my first solo album in five years, yeah. something like that. It's been a minute, and I've been off the road doing things like starting podcasts and shit. You're you know? doing
1: the smart thing, man. Yeah. Yeah. I, I didn't make a solo record for eight years, Right. but in that time, I worked with Greg. Mm-hmm. It was. I only didn't do music for about a year. And then he kind of forced me to go out and play with Twilight Singers. Yeah. So that got me back into it.
0: I remember, I think that's like one of the times when I met you it was like you had been just coming off a painting job too and it came over to Greg's and I was over there <laughs> recording on something. You Remember that? Yeah, I do. Yeah. You
1: yeah, he had the mic set up there in the living room.
2: You, you have like 11 solo albums, right? Am I... Am I- Around the ballpark, but are, are any of those because you uh, had are, are any of those any good?
0: That was the joke I wanted to make, but I wasn't at, going to. The but that's what it sounded like. He the, was about, are up. any of those? Any? Yeah. <laughs> the setup was too good. The setup was right there. It was like, dude, well, that's on a ball. <laughs> I'm not going to hit that because it's like... No, that's not what I was going for, right? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, shit. Were,
2: were any of those because you had like a contract and you had to like supply records? Mm. Okay, so there is something of that sort in there. Yeah, there who, was... Who did you owe albums to?
1: I owed albums to Sub Pop not once but twice. I signed two deals with them
2: that's an mo. You sign stuff without looking. Yeah,
1: mm. and then I and then I signed with uh Beggars' Banquet, which became 4AD. I made two, <coughs> three records for them, and then I wised up and just uh, make records on my own label now and license them through. That's what I'm doing too. That's what you. That's the you got to on your masters, man. Yeah, you know. But luckily, the guys I worked with uh, in UK, Heavenly, yeah, who was uh, the guy who runs the company was an old publisher of mine, so he you know was a supporter and a fan for a long time. And once I was free of the beggars thing, he actually encouraged me just to license the records through him.
0: Yeah, you know, instead of signing some ridiculous that's a that's a friend yeah i know that's a fucking you've got some good good guardian angels that actually exist on the planet like dude that helped you with the memoir what's his name again mishka shubilee mishka shubilee 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 and then uh this other guy that's heavyweight stuff right there both those things are really good good fortunes Greg and Duff and Greg, yeah. But I'm just saying, like on the business level too. But yeah, artistically too. I have been
1: lucky. I've been really lucky. My uh, my wife is into this Hindu astrology. Oh man, dude! I just had a reading of that recently. That's incredible stuff. She pinpointed. She goes, "What happened to you when you were 32? I know what happened to you when you were 40. Like those were like my two worst years. Yeah, when like like, real bad shit happened Mm -hmm. to me." And she she just found that by going through my chart. Yeah, like they can basically pinpoint Dude, the day that you die. It's
0: unfucking believable. It's uncanny. It's we. It's spooky. I had I I can hip you to a lady who did my whole reading and it it blew my mind. It was just like okay, like this is crazy. After a few things she said it like she was like, okay, we well, are either moving, you're about to move, and I was like in Mexico in my new apartment, you know, like, you know, it was just like yeah wild shit like that well what happened when you were uh, 32
1: 32 was my year of homelessness
0: wow and that's wild actual homelessness actual i don't know anybody that would say homelessness without being actually homeless (laughs) (laughs) no bro i I, like had a one bedroom apartment (laughs) for me that was homeless bro you know I mean, studio, dude, studio apartment, bro. That, if, that's homeless. If you don't have a two car garage, dude. <laughs> you're homeless, bro. This is LA. <laughs> Imagine if that's a, So, wait
2: a <laughs> What were you doing musically oh, back then?
0: Hold on. I want to go into homelessness, yeah, go, dude. Go this on, is please. like, are you kidding? <laughs> I mean, actual homelessness. Yeah, like actual homelessness. What happened there? Well, I uh, couldn't pay my rent. <laughs> dude, I'm curious about this because this nearly happened to me a few years ago, actually. I had six eviction notices and I had to sell off most of my equipment to make it through and then I got... The, then the Peter Buck thing came through and then I got a publishing deal and then boom, 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 I'm back on my feet. But dude, it was fucking close. Yeah. No, for real. Like, And I had no buddy that could bail me out no no contact with family of origin type shit dude no safety net no safety net and still no safety net hence the podcast hence you you know (laughs) like stuff that you like it actually drives you towards like really getting your shit together like hence sobriety without fucking around with it sobriety without being like oops i fucking relapsed again i'm gonna get it together like once you go that way it's like you see the real bottom of it, and you're like so what so what, how did it get to that? Well, I got to that through years of you know addiction and
1: right just uh that was that was my my uh bottom right that was
0: ninety seven so for a year almost a year in in l a or no in Seattle in Seattle where you know Where you must have been known and recognized, too. Like, how crazy.
1: I always told myself nobody would recognize me the way I looked then. Yeah,
0: I always (laughs) tell myself that, too, when I'm up to no good. Nobody notices me. But I remember one day
1: I was, like, standing on the street with, like, a mouthful of balloons. I was selling on the street Mm -hmm. for some guy. And and I heard, like, a car went by and somebody said my name. And I was Mm -hmm. like, fuck. How, How could they recognize me with this huge beard and this, like. Long, dreaded hair, right, but somebody did, yeah,,, you know. um, but yeah, it was rough times. How did you pull out of it? Well, I had to leave town because, um some people uh, were after you, yeah, money, yeah, for some shit I had done, and um mm-hmm. there was also this cop that. Had asked me to leave town, and probably had, doing you a favor. Doing me a favor, yeah. <coughs> right, and um, and I didn't do, you know, I didn't didn't do didn't do that until like the very last minute, and somebody had uh, left something at this pawn shop, some literature about the map. Program musicians assistants.
0: I know Map. I I wound up at Map too in L. A. Uh, this was another whole dark period in the nineties. But I wound up Paul. Uh, I don't know if you can't really say the name. We might have to edit this out. But um, Paul Williams from the Love Boat. Yeah, he, he was my he <laughs> did, was my group leader. He was he was, awesome. he was my group leader too. Dude. dude, he was great. I know he was cool as hell. Uh, he was my dude, favorite I, one. And Jeff Buckley's mom too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. She, she was also there. Yeah. The Dude, there. that's crazy.
1: Yeah, Buddy Arnold. That's Buddy Arnold, yeah. And, and I just went like into the pawn shop. I was like, what was it that, what was it that, uh, mm-hmm. it, was, it was actually Courtney Love that had left that uh, literature for me at the pawn shop. And that's I was, amazing. I was like, what was that thing that Courtney left here? Yeah. And he's like, this. And I was like, will they get me out of town someplace warm? <laughs> he was
0: like, let me see. And uh-huh. like 10 minutes later, he had me on a flight to LA. Thank God for that place, man. Yeah that might have saved your life it it absolutely did thank god for i think it might have saved my life i know it did mine yeah who would have thought that little guy in the love boat saving lives (laughs) paul
1: Williams is a genius
0: total genius yeah 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 he's written some amazing tunes too. that's true yeah fuck dude i'm glad you made it out of that but like don't you think like experiences like that like is that in your memoir too oh yeah hell yeah I mean, I think like, again, it's just it kind of goes back to what I was sort of softball saying about at the beginning, which is like, you know, not being, not being in an ivory tower with just like piles of money pouring on you. It's so interesting, all like the struggles that we go through in this journey, you know, like that's the, that like when you look back and like now you're here and things are cool and you, not that you don't have your things you're dealing with, of course, this is life, but like kind of neat when you think about what what you get through
1: absolutely um you know it's i've always i've always thought i was really really lucky to not have the kind of huge success that some of my friends had right because it probably would have you know either a done me in or I just wouldn't have been motivated to work and I'd go sit on the beach somewhere. You know what I mean? And
0: who wants to to do that, really? It's boring. I have to work. I mean, I love sitting on the beach. I don't find it boring, but if it was my only thing... I was going to
2: raise my hand. (laughs) <laughs> oh, okay, <laughs> now it's passive aggressive, dude. <laughs> oh
0: my god, you guys, are, no. you guys are great. <laughs> it's a good two man act, it is, isn't it? It's, it's <laughs> amazing. All right, what were your, go ahead here, dude. <laughs> I was joking, I, was
2: saying, I would want us to be on the beach. That's
0: all. Oh, you'd want to be on the beach. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah I, but I don't believe that about you at all, dude. You're the hardest working person I fucking know. Seriously, And, like, I know hardworking people. And you are outrageously hardworking. And you say shit like that. And you also say uh, you don't have, like, a spiritual connection. But everything you do is so spiritual-based. Music, like, a million sessions, one-on-one. Who does that? Just out of passion. But do you... But do you have, like, a connection with, like, spiritual, spirituality? Like, I know, like, maybe, like, program stuff or whatever, but, like, do you, have, do you pray or anything like that or meditate or any of that kind of thing?
1: I've never, I've never been a meditator. Um, I guess I do at times. I've done this thing. Uh, I guess you'd call it focused prayer. Mm-hmm. It's more like, uh, what the fuck do you call it? Um, a mantra oh right you know and and usually it's just to get me to quit from th- quit thinking about something that's <coughs> yeah you know keeping me awake
0: what's that mantra
1: it, it can be anything anything
0: I like this metacognition technique which is like if I'm afraid you ask yourself who's afraid and then you say who's asking who who's afraid and you <laughs> and you just keep up leveling <laughs> Where you become the observer of your own thoughts, and then you like, as soon as you're the observer, then you're like at least outside of that train wreck going on in your brain.
1: That's a good one, man. Yeah, yeah, that's you know, really the only reason I ever started praying was to because somebody suggested that it would quiet my mind, Mm -hmm. and um, I found the more that I did it. The more it worked, and then mm-hmm. I didn't need it anymore because <clears throat> yeah. I didn't have that, you know, noise all the time anymore. Do you believe in God? You know, I believe that there is a force <clears throat> that can intervene in in the lives of certain men, mm-hmm. just because higher power. I've had an experience. Um, of that sort but I'm also like staunchly anti-religion mm-hmm. like I just think that religion is the biggest fucking lie
0: and
1: I'm mm. um, sorry
0: uh, I'm not dude, I don't know, man. People think I'm religious because I pray and stuff like that, but I, I pray also. Yeah, but like but, but I don't know. I'm like, dude, I get it. Like I'm not like, what the fuck, bro? Like you know, <laughs> I'm not like that at all, dude. I, I'm like I I'm, <clears throat> I'm a believer, but I also don't know. Like it's faith based. Yeah, like it's course. my faith and it's more fun and ever since I was a kid I just believed and that helped me get through what I had to get through. So that's been with me my whole life. I and it still dead. is. But dude, yeah. Like I could be wrong, like, and it's not like I'm like, what the fuck if somebody does, if somebody's an atheist? I understand. It's not. It doesn't seem reasonable to me to think something comes from nothing. But, yeah. but I could, it's fair enough. It, I, there's definitely reason to believe that something doesn't give a fuck about us. Of course, there's those reasons, but there's also reasons to believe that something very much gives a fuck about us. You know. I agree with both those statements. M- me too. You know, having
1: half of my family catholic yeah and then another branch of my family like in some religious cult that doesn't even have a name uh-huh and
0: then which one's that they don't have a name <laughs> <They don't,
1: yeah. laughs> that that was my grandmother uh-huh but that's wild and huh? then and then another branch of my family Jehovah's witnesses wild and um i just think i just think organized religion for me is just so much bullshit mm-hmm. that's just my opinion but i'm not saying i don't believe that there's a god
0: yeah because i do it's i hear uh, i'm not even gonna say it it'd embarrass you if i say it but your voice is godly oh, oh come on it is man it is everybody everybody knows that like that's something everybody fucking knows Mark Lanigan's voice is godly that's in the dictionary under Captain Obvious <laughs> everybody knows that isn't it but you know what I gotta say Ehud's gonna kill me for saying this what? cause I bring this up at Ho'oponopono have you Go heard of this it. one uh uh-uh. uh dude this is a mantra I use which is I love you I'm sorry please forgive me thank you I love you I'm sorry please forgive me thank you I love you I'm sorry please forgive me thank you and there's Mantras on YouTube where you can just put it in your headphones and go running with it and all this other thing I do this all the time and it helps me especially family of origin stuff releasing and forgiving and breaking that old Programming so that you can live from inspiration rather than from memory mm. And it's really powerful. There's this guy dr. Hugh Lin, who healed a whole mental institution from the of the criminally insane just by reviewing their files and taking full responsibility for every mental illness he read about it's real woo-woo stuff, wow. but it's about taking full responsibility for everything that's happened to you in your life, and it's about, like, owning it all and just, like, yeah, like, it's a powerful, you know, mantra, and it really does release release something. It's really something I recommend, but, but you know, just if you're interested in mantras, that would be one to investigate. I can send you some. And some links on that. Yeah, show. I'm, I'm
1: so fucking uh,
0: <clears throat> ignorant when it comes to YouTube and. Oh man, I've I've learned everything off of YouTube.
1: <laughs> all the possibilities. I just I just know because my wife is constantly watching the Hindu stuff.
0: Yeah, like that, like all that that kind of stuff. Like I I watch gurus on there and everything. Like you know, it's really incredible. You're even on there. Yeah, through somebody's phone. No, there's good interviews with you and stuff like that. Oh my God! Well, hopefully this will be one of them. Yeah, man, I really appreciate you doing it, man. <laughs> Joe, it's been great talking it's to you. It's been Aiden. so Love wonderful, you, bro. I have two and questions. That, okay, thanks for letting us in your home, too, man. Hey, it's any, wonderful any here. Time. Yeah, really appreciate uh, it.
1: It's it's you know, sort of homeless, but
0: yeah, I mean I can for me this would be homeless. <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> Go for it. Uh, so, just I, I'm, one is gonna be a little on the darker side, and one is gonna be on the lighter side. So, uh, it's also been like a year since Anthony Bourdain uh, died, and um, your one of your songs was a theme song to his show, and he had you on his show, and it seemed like he had a lot of admiration for you, and I'm assuming it was mutual uh how was your relationship with him and how how did you take that
1: well he was he was the other guy that talked me into writing the book uh, wow okay and so you know halfway through it um sending chapters to him wow and that's uh when he decided to to take off so yeah that's mm. did not see that one coming either
2: how long did you know him
1: I only had met him through the song. Uh he he knew Josh and Josh turned him on to my music and he became a big fan. And then he asked for Josh and I to write the theme together to mm-hmm. the to the new show. And so I talked to him then and then um just started a e- email relationship and when he read the uh lyric book to do like a blurb, he ended up doing like you know basically reviewed the entire book and my entire catalog in his blurb, which was <laughs> right was he's a, a great know. writer yeah, yeah, was it was amazing great, yeah and I was a huge fan of his of his book mm. and uh and then he just started you know leaning on me to write this book. And he was the guy that I that talked me into writing the prologue, which I sent to him, and uh, so yeah. That's
0: amazing. Yeah. It's sorry for your loss.
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: I Man, uh, you know that's that er- everybody's yeah, lost. everybody's loss. Yeah, yeah. I, I
2: have a f- good friend who's obsessed <laughs> with Anthony, and she took it really hard, really
1: hard. I don't know anybody that uh, you know didn't have some kind of connection to. Yeah. Uh, he was just such a fucking force a real positive force um in not just like you know in my life but like in the world real heavy heavy loss at a really
0: bad time yeah mm-hmm i like how he was getting into jujitsu and getting all like super physically fit right there too like Later in life, that was super inspiring. Well, he was married to a woman who was like a martial artist. I didn't know that. The episode of the show that you're on was really cool. I ended up seeing that. I've still not watched it. Yeah.
1: Okay,
2: and the lighter question. <laughs> let's go back to
0: 1996. Oh um, my god! The, no, no, hold on, this, is good, this hey, we'll Let's
2: take you, this you back to 1996. You toured. You toured with Oasis. Oh shit! And, okay, and I love I mean, talking and about come Oasis. On, and come I, on, and i know there was I, something I'm a between big you liam Ga- and liam yeah. that's what i want like I, is I the love story true no, and if cool. it's true tell the story <laughs> he's cool <shit>. no as <laughs> well or no i mean oasis dude We've i, love, I mean i oasis. love oasis listen,
0: listen, oh. I, I loved oasis too uh, i loved past tense i clocked that
2: no
1: i, I loved the music yeah um, he and i did not get along mm. from the drop right There's an entire chapter. Did he say hello to you? There is a chapter. Uh, He he didn't say hello. He said something else. Uh, But the first thing I said to him was, "Why don't you fuck off?" Wow. So that's how that
0: started. What did he say to you? You don't want to go there. It's in the book, right? Right. Yeah. Let's say read it for the book. Yeah. Don't give away all the diamonds.
1: Like Dooley said, that chapter's the
0: money. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, he said that about the Oasis one. Yeah. Well, I gotta say, I'm damn curious. (laughs) Yeah. That's interesting.
1: So, But
2: how was it touring with them in general? I mean, they were huge then.
1: They just f- sort of f- told 15, Well, 15,000, you know, seat They weren't really as huge, huge in, in the America. States, yeah. No,
2: well, this was in Europe yeah. that you toured with them. No, this them. Was, it was here? This was in the East Coast. Oh, uh, yeah. okay. So we yeah. were
1: doing, like, you know, basketball arenas. Got it. Yeah. Uh, it was unpleasant for me because. Uh, I constantly was on the verge of wanting to kick the shit out of him, but he had two huge bodyguards with him at all times, constantly talking shit. (laughs) (laughs) He seems like he's uh, matured,
0: though, as a,
1: I don't know well I, I certainly didn't mature in my assessment of that time right. period in my
0: book we about, can't end on this note what, what about Look where Noel? you've taken the interview <laughs> what about, i what was about going Noel? so well it's my
1: favorite chapter of the book so well, there you go See, all right i
2: was on to something yeah you were on to something <laughs> what's yeah. next from mark Lanigan? <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, what time is it? Hey, it's it's time. almost, it's the, almost no. time to wrap. Is, is yeah. they you gonna have a cigarette. Yeah, you know, no, a we're gonna to let's, we're gonna wrap. Well, like, well let's it wrap, wrap it, it, it up. Is there other than your hours. memoir
2: that's coming out in October? Yeah, you you know, what,
1: what, the memoir is coming out next year. Oh, next um, year.
0: And the album? When's the album coming? Album's coming out? out in October. Okay. And, and that's when my album's coming out. What's your album called? My album's called Somebody's Knocking. Okay.
1: I like it. It's the, the front cover is a picture of the door knocker on my studio. I
0: noticed that when I walked up to the studio. I was like, where'd you get that door knocker? It's like the devil or something. We right? got
1: it from someplace, and the guy said, I have to tell you that this thing supposedly is cursed.
0: Yeah, it looks like that, dude. I, like. So we bought it immediately. <laughs> <laughs> cursed? Fuck yeah. <laughs> Somebody's knocking. What did he say? That was the end of it? Did it cost $666? No. It didn't. I don't
1: remember how much it was. But, uh, yeah, if anything's cursed, we're definitely in the market for it. So,
0: Man, I'm too superstitious for that.
1: Yeah, you know, what guy, off this, there's this man I know that makes this porcelain, like
0: that head of Mishima over there. Uh-huh. And, uh, and there's a skull behind you, too, that's pretty interesting.
1: Yeah, he might have made a couple of those. He, he uh... I was looking for this one piece of artwork that he had made, and he's like, "I think I have one more left." And you really, you're, you're lucky because I made this one with human bones. And I was like, "I'll buy mm-hmm.
0: it." Too much. I
1: don't. I don't want somebody, somebody part of somebody's body in my house that yeah. I don't know. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like, right. say it's like you know whatever. Then my family members. They can be, the dust can be in a yeah. jar in my house, I guess, if they want. But. Yeah. I didn't like the idea of having somebody's bones in my house that I didn't know.
0: Nah. <laughs> Let's get Liam Gallagher's bones out of here. Yeah. Dude, thank you so much, my man. My pleasure,
1: guys. Follow it's been Mark. great
0: talking to you guys. Yeah, it's been really good.
2: On Instagram, on Twitter, Facebook, marklanigan.com. And support us on. Patreon, Patreon yeah. listen on iTunes, watch on YouTube.
0: See y'all later. Thank you. Thanks, man. Mark. My pleasure. That was fun. Hi, this is Joseph Arthur.